Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Beloved, thanks for joining us today on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. I'm John Russell, I serve as the host. Here with my partner in crime, Pastor Frank Friedman. And Frank, we have been talking about a topic that's loosely involved with the idea of our attitude, but it focuses in, my friend. It focuses in on a deeper question. What do we do when the church we're attending doesn't really understand and teach the message of grace, the message of Christ as life? And we wound up last time with some comments by you on Luke chapter four and Jesus' first visit in scripture to the synagogue and his attitudes there. So bring us up to speed with uh, what we saw with our big brother, with Jesus last time. Well, obviously Jesus summarized his life in Matthew 20 when he said that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. And in Luke 4, that's what he introduced his ministry with a quote from Isaiah 61. Fascinating, John, that he didn't quote that he came to die for our sins. He didn't quote that he came to bring us to heaven. He quoted that he came to have mercy and grace and help the brokenhearted and set free captives and give a garland of praise for those who mourn. I would sum it up in a word as compassion. Uh, he came to give himself. And the same truth was then reiterated in John 7 in our own lives, that he came to us to satisfy every thirst we have so that we then become rivers of living water to those who live in a desert world so we can satisfy their thirsts. And so the call on our lives was not so much to get from others, but to give to others if we have first received from God who offers us the infinite supply of his own life. You know, there's a, a guy that I used to teach with years ago, John, in several places around the country, and he called the Christ life the supplied life, that Christ supplies what we need, and then we become the supply to others. It's a Beautiful, beautiful picture. Unfortunately, one that's not lived out all that much. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it looks great on paper, but boy, the truth is a lot harder. You know, you and I have always talked about how we preach a much better message than we actually live. I want to spend just a few minutes now going back into that passage in Luke chapter 4. Mm -hmm. where Jesus comes to his hometown, goes into the synagogue, opens a scroll, reads from Isaiah 61. They're marveled, and then they kind of turn on him. And they say, well, what are you going to do all the cool things here that you did elsewhere? 
And when he didn't, they tried to throw him off a cliff. So as I was praying through that passage, I saw some take-home points that are important for us to stand as we enter churches that might not have the full understanding that we have or that we think mm. we have. Okay, so the first one is this, my friend. Jesus went to those synagogues to give. He knew, because he's God, he knows everything. He knew there were problems with their thinking. He knew they didn't understand everything clearly. He knew they kind of taught in a twisted way, but he went anyway, willingly, joyfully, because that's where the people were who needed to hear. And then Father gave me this passage from John 1. The light shines in the darkness. And so if we are the light of the world, and Jesus calls us the light of the world, how is the light going to be recognized unless we take it into darkness? Hmm. We got to expect to walk into places where there's nothing but confusion and misunderstanding inaccurate teaching. We need to expect that. And our job is just to shine light. I saw that as a first point, because we think, Frank, that we need to quickly run to the pastor, to the elders, and correct all their theology. But mm. that's not what Jesus did. He mm. just spoke the truth. We're lights. And so our job is just to shine light. And if all we do is hang out with a bunch of other people who are light, then you can't see our light. It gets absorbed into all the others. But when you go into darkness, your light mm. is visible. And that's what our Savior has equipped us to do, because that's what he did. Mm. Well, you know, John, in that same passage in John 1, it's fascinating, the word order. He doesn't say, in him was light, and the light was the life. But he said, in him was life. And the life was the light. So when we receive Christ, we receive his life, which then is the light of the world. I think that's two of the most incredible passages in the entire Bible when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But then he says, we are the light of the world. And we are the light because we have his life. And like you said, it shines best in the darkness. And that doesn't mean we have to go correct everybody. Jesus said, let your light shine. Let the world of man see your good works. It's a consistent theme throughout the Bible. First Corinthians 7, when a believing person is married to an unbeliever, Paul says you can win them without a word. He says the same thing in Peter. With the precious and quiet and gentle spirit, a woman can win her husband without saying a word. John, talk is cheap. Backing it up with a life, that's powerful. People mistake James. They don't understand James. They think James isn't in harmony with Paul. He is exactly in harmony, but he's coming from it from an Eastern point of view, where knowledge wasn't just something in your brain, knowledge was something that changed your life. And so if somebody were to go to James and say, show me what you know about grace, he would say, well, uh, come and walk with me for a while. 
You'll see what I believe. And that's why he said faith without works is dead, because he had that conviction of an Eastern mindset that the life brings transformation. And that's really what we're called to do, John. We're called to love. You remember Jesus' words, the world will know you are my disciples by your correct doctrinal understanding of oh, grace. There was a time <laughs> when I would have rewritten that scripture to say precisely that. Yeah, obviously not. The world will know you're my disciples by the love that you have. John, I would just say this. I'm thinking about that. God is love. It's his nature. Obviously, that means mankind is not love or we would be God. So when we love with the love of God that's placed within us, that's when people can look at our lives and say, Oh, so that's what God is like. And we can't manufacture that. We can only be used as the vessels to express it. And that's our main responsibility. Amen. Well said, my friend. All right. I've got another point that we need to remember. And that is we need to expect rejection. Mm -hmm. Looking back at that same passage in Luke 4, when Jesus read from that scroll, they marveled. But just because they listen and just because they're impressed doesn't mean they're grasping the truth. Mm. But we need to expect rejection. As we mentioned just a few moments ago, if you read on in Luke chapter 4, they were really interested more in seeing him do in Nazareth the things he did elsewhere. And when he didn't, and he called them on the carpet for that, it's interesting. Scripture describes that they suddenly became filled with explosive anger. They tried mm. to kill him. And I guess what Father told me here is that it's not our teaching that matters. It's the mm. Holy Spirit revelation. Even Jesus the mm. master teacher couldn't get these folks to turn their heads. Mm. So even Jesus, if you want to say it this way, even mm -hmm. Jesus failed that Saturday in the Nazareth synagogue. So we need to expect rejection. People will mm -hmm. not accept what we say all the time. Yeah, and that's a consistent theme in scripture as well, John. Later in the Gospel of John in chapter 14, Jesus said, you know, of course, he spent some three and a half years teaching those 12 men. But at the end of his life on that final night, he doesn't say he taught them. He says, I spoke to you. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll bring to your remembrance what I said, not taught, and he will teach you all things. So it's an incredible thought, but even with Jesus teaching, as the master teacher of all time, it was nothing but speaking and hearing without the Holy Spirit. Only with the Holy Spirit can it be teaching and learning. And that same thought is repeated in 1 Corinthians 2 by the Apostle Paul, where he says, a natural man will never understand the things of God. That's a man who tries to understand God with his brain. He said, it takes the Spirit who is God who knows the deep things of God, who has been given to us so that we can learn what has been given. So in other words, 
we're going to encounter a lot of people who are Christians who have been given everything we have, John. They just don't know that they have it. And that's huge. You know, I remember, John, years ago when you and I were elders and we had our uh, grace revolution in the church and there was a lot of rejection. People didn't like what we were saying. And you have to realize no religious person, no hardworking religious person is ever going to like this message, the message of grace, because it rips the rug out from all that they've done. That was Nicodemus's problem. You mean I got to start over? None of what I've done counts? And Jesus repeated himself and said, yeah, you got to start over. You got to be born again. But there was a woman who left the church in her anger. And months later, her friend came to me. And this is tragic, John. She said, do you know why she left? And I said, no. And she said, she told me this, speaking about me. She said, I don't agree with the thing that man says, but he has something I don't have. And I don't like it. And John, what's tragic about that is if she'd have only come to me, I could have taught her from the New Testament, you have everything I have. You just don't know it. And that's the problem. And John, you and I have talked about this. We were both very arrogant in our understanding of grace. And I wonder if I hadn't been more gentle and compassionate if maybe that lady would have come to me and said, what do you have that I don't have? And then I could have graciously explained to her, oh, no, you already have it. You just don't know. But let's come to know. Yeah. Um, it's humbling to look back and realize just how much grace Father has shown us mm -hmm. in our efforts to help others understand grace. <laughs> we need it. <laughs> needed major doses of grace for our attitude, which is what we're talking about today. Yeah. I tell you, man, here's another important point that Father brought out to me as, you know, for those of us who are still trying to find a church uh, in which we feel comfortable. I looked at this passage and said, okay, these folks in Nazareth drove them out of town, tried to throw them off a cliff. What did he do next? Well, in my Sicilian family, Frank, we would have discarded them. We would have said, Puh, you're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't do that. He just went on to Capernaum, 30 miles away. So the next Sabbath, he was right there in that synagogue. So he kept it up. And so what jumped into my mind was the passage from Galatians 6, where Paul writes, do not be weary mm. in well-doing, because in the end you will reap if you faint not. So Jesus sort of didn't have the result we would have hoped to see in Nazareth. So, okay, what's next, Father? Who do you have in Capernaum waiting to hear your message of truth? In fact, that's so important that we understand this, that even though Group A might say, no, there are others out there who desperately need and just are waiting to hear. Mm. So he yeah. didn't discard them. He kept right on plugging away. And I know that's what you did for 30 some years in the pulpit. Keep 
pouring out truth, even though many didn't receive it. Yeah, it's two sides of the same coin, John. On the one side, we have to have an incredible tenacity to keep going and continue presenting what we believe to be true. But when you turn that coin over, the other side of it is patience, understanding, compassion. We have come to know that they're not going to get it without revelation. And when you look at the message of the new covenant, John, it's too good to be true. You know, in the Old Testament, Isaiah 55, God says, my ways are not your ways. And, you know, we tend to quote that verse in a context of when something bad happens. Somebody loses a child or gets a disease and they're confused. And we say to them, well, you know, God's ways are not our ways. But that's not the context. In the context of Isaiah 55, God says, come and buy for free. Come and buy wine, come and buy milk at no cost. And you look at that and you go, well, how do you buy something when it doesn't cost anything? That's crazy. And God says, yeah, my ways are not your ways. I don't operate the way the world does. You don't earn my grace. It's free. And John, I was in Colorado this week speaking to a bunch of collegians. And popping into my brain was an old Rich Mullins song. And Rich wrote this line and he said, he and his buddy were sitting down with the huddle of kids trying to help them believe what is too good to be real, but is more real than the air they breathe. What an incredible line. The love of God in Christ Jesus and his marvelous grace. It's too good to be real. We need to understand that. People are going to go, there's got to be a hook. There's got to be a catch. It's hard for us to believe it. But we have to help them see that it's the truth of their father's word. And it is more real than the air that they're breathing. Hmm. What an incredible line from that man. Indeed, it is. Although you are dating yourself, Pastor Friedman. <laughs> Richard Mullins. He needs to be rediscovered by the modern Christian world. Pretty soon you'll be talking about Sandy Patty in second chapter of Acts. Those are, those are names I read in a book. I'm not old enough to remember them at all. All right, my friend. Here's another point that jumped out at me from this passage. And that is when you consistently bring the message of life, when you shine the light you have, you will find people who need it but they may not always be the people you expect or in the places you expect. Mm. You know, we always like to go to a church and a new church and speak to the pastor or the elders and they suddenly get revelation. And so you can change the head folks and the body's teaching focus changes overnight. Well, that doesn't happen very often, but mm. what Jesus experienced, and I found this in Matthew chapter nine, as he started out his ministry, he went to the synagogues. He talked to the Pharisees. He had a meeting with Nicodemus. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that. He started at the top. But what he found was that, Matthew 9, the people who have no need of a physician have no need of him. But those mm -hmm. who are sick and know they're sick, 
are the ones who turn to the Savior. People who knew they needed help were the ones who flocked to Jesus. And so mm. if he spent his time focusing on only the synagogues and only the Pharisees, mm. he would have missed the needy, sick people who were desperate for the message of life he brought. And so I got out of this that when you are consistent and you don't faint, Father will bring you to contact with people with whom you can share the light mm. you have. And that's encouraging. It truly mm. is. Yeah, you know, John, we're not called to win anybody. We're just called to love. We're we're called to share. We're the voice in the wilderness. And he'll use it. He'll take it wherever he needs to. And like you say, you'll be surprised sometime. A buddy of mine was surprised. He sent me to a pastor's conference back in 1988, I believe it was, because he felt that I needed it. And there at that conference, my wife was in tears. And I looked at her and said, baby, what's the matter? And she said, don't you hear what they're teaching? And I said, well, I teach this. And she says, no, you don't. <laughs> and she got free. So we went to that conference for me. And I brought her along. And boy, she had her eyes opened. And uh, six months later, I called those people back and said, man, whatever you did to her, do to me, because I had an Indy 500 syndrome, you know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. went right by my brain. And uh, it's true. We are just the mouthpiece. Uh, he'll take the words, sow the seed in the heart, water that seed, and ultimately bring a harvest. And when I was ordained, John, I'll never forget John MacArthur's personal counsel to me. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Frank, you take care of the depth of your ministry and leave the breadth of your ministry to the Holy Spirit. And boy, what a wise counsel that was. My only responsibility wasn't to build the church. It was just to make sure that I presented Jesus correctly and faithfully. And that was the only responsibility I had. It was a great, great piece of counsel from a very wise man. Yes, indeed. And that fits in so closely, my friend, with the last point I want us to hit on before we wrap up today. And that is, how did Jesus eventually build the group he did? How did he have his ministry? How did he do it? And then what Father took me to was John chapter 6, where Jesus says some incredible words, my friend. He says, mm. hey, all those the Father gives me will come to me. So first, the Spirit showed me that it's the Father who mm. brings to us the people he wants mm. to be impacted by our light. It's his job to do that. We're not to go sweeping corners and looking around. He will bring them. And then this is the part that really got me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Mm. Oh, gosh, Frank. He didn't call them stupid. He didn't berate them for not understanding. He didn't reject them for what they said or they didn't say. Or Did you hear him say? He said sin nature two times in that last message did you hear that he mm. didn't say any of that he didn't drive anybody away he spoke delicately compassionately because as isaiah 42 says he will not quench even the 
tiniest of wicks that have even the smallest amount of flame, he won't quench that wick. He won't bruise any reed whatsoever. He will work to restore them. Mm. And so, wow. You know, my friend, years ago, you and I probably played a role to drive more people away than we care to admit. Mm. Ouch. Yeah. All right, my friend, those are painful thoughts, mm. but uh, we're about out of time. So wrap us up today. What does all this mean looking at the example of Jesus? Well, I think it goes back to Philippians 2.5, John. Have the same mindset that Jesus has. Have the same attitude that he has. And when we go to that passage in Isaiah 42, we have to look historically at what was happening. You know, if the wick isn't burning very well, hey, just grab it, throw it away. There's a hundred other wicks in the house. Any old wick will do. When you're carving a flute and you bend the reed, well, throw it away. There's another reed right there. You can start again. That's the way mankind treats people, but not God. God says, no, every wick is significant. If you're not shining light very brightly, I'll shine my light in you. If you've been bruised in this world, you matter. You matter. I'm not casting you off. I'll play beautiful music through your bruised life. John, there's no such thing as an ordinary man or an ordinary woman or an insignificant man or woman on this planet. God wants to take your uniqueness and shine his light through you and play his beautiful music through you, no matter how weak you are, how many times you've failed, and how hurt and wounded you are, he'll still want to shine his light and play his beautiful music through you. That, my goodness, <laughs> that's that's just amazing. Wow. Well, friends, so we trust that you've been amazed by the truth of Father's word as uh, he has spoken uh, to us through the example of our older brother, Jesus. And he has encouraged us to let the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus be in us. Uh, we don't have to fabricate it. We just have to cooperate and consent. Say, yes, sir, Father, I will willingly step aside and allow you to do this in me, through me, to others. So if that has been a blessing to you, we invite you to check out our website. You'll find us at OurResoluteHope.com. Lots of resources there to help you in your walk. Please check us out on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, our YouTube channel. When you go to our website, you'll find a place to sign up for a newsletter or let us hear from you. There's a contact mm -hmm. at OurResoluteHope email. Shoot us a line. We'd love to hear what you're thinking. and. Who knows? Your thoughts may really wind up steering where we go in this podcast. So we welcome your feedback. And as always, we close with the same reminder about having an anchor for our souls. We read about this in Hebrews 6. Peter calls it a living hope in chapter 1 of his first epistle. Paul told Titus that it's a blessed hope. Frank and I call it a resolute hope. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself. 
his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.